the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by Robert Bernstein, who is both a CPA and an attorney, and much more than that, has been a great friend and longtime supporter of my cannabis advocacy efforts in, in New York, whether that's been through sponsoring events or, or being a donor at fundraisers for nonprofits and, and for Congressman Earl Blumenauer. Uh, Rob has been a staple in the New York community, and not just at high and events that I've done, but at really all the advocacy and community organizations. Um, Rob is someone that was always supporting those local grassroots efforts, and I really appreciate that, and that's why I wanted to start off by, by highlighting that, but Rob, I want to turn it over to you. I don't even know if I mentioned Grassi and Co., which is <laughs> where you're a partner. Sorry, I got swept up, but I, I want to turn it over to you to, to introduce yourself and tell the folks uh, a little about your background and what you do. Sure, thanks. That was, that was a very, very um, kind introduction. Um, it is happens to be true, and uh, um, I'll just give you a little bit of my background. I'm a CPA and an attorney. I'm a partner at a regional accounting firm called Grassi & Co. I'm one of the partners who is running the cannabis niche practice that we have here, and uh, just uh, we'll do a little advertisement, then we'll talk cannabis. We're, we have clients in 12 states, three countries, uh, vertically integrated MSOs, um, cannabis, industrial hemp, CBD, online retailers, uh, you, you name it, we, we have clients in the space. Um, we've been in the space since 2015, I want to say. Um, and um, we got into the space initially through our healthcare practice. One of our healthcare clients said, hey, I'm going to apply for a license in New Jersey. Is this something that you guys are interested in doing? And the firm uh, was very progressive in its thinking. They said, yes, this is something that we want to be in. And they cleared everything with uh, the malpractice carriers and the New York State Society of CPAs. Um, and we have some of the original license holders. So um, it's, been, it's been a great ride. And I joined the firm in 2017. We already had a small fledgling cannabis practice. And I remember very well that there was going to be a cannabis show at the Javits Center. And my wife said, hey, did you see this cannabis show at the Javits Center? Because prior to cannabis, and I still am an automotive industry expert, car wash, quick lube, gas stations, I won't bore everybody with that. And I said, no, I didn't see it. So I reached out to our cannabis partner. I said, I want to go to this. And they said, well, it's not in the budget. We, we're not going to go. I said, how can we not go? to a cannabis show at the Javits Center. That's our backyard. This is, so they, they said, yes, let's go, let's get a table. And that was really the start of my intro to that first cannabis show was 
2017. It was just a small part of the Javits Center and it's grown ever since. Um, and that's really my background with uh, the, the intro of my accounting firm into the cannabis industry. Awesome. That's, that's a great story. I didn't realize that they didn't want to, they didn't want to be there and you, you, you convinced them that well, it was, it was more like a budget, you know, there's always this budget issue where you set the budget the year before, and there's no line item that says Javits show. So we're, you're a, always able to juggle things. So if I had my own budget here in the white plains office, I said to them, charge me, we won't charge healthcare or cannabis. And they said that works and we made it work. And it was, um, uh, it was, it was a good one. Awesome. So Rob, let me ask you, you mentioned representing some of those early license holders in, mm -hmm. in New Jersey and the tri-state area. And obviously those markets are gearing up to expand right now. I'm curious to hear from you. How have you seen the industry evolve, uh, since you got involved and, what are, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen and what do you foresee coming up? Sure. So if we just take a step back, some of the, in New York, there's 10 license holders that you have to be vertically integrated. The same thing in New Jersey, all of the original licenses and vertically integrated means you grow, you extract, you sell, you may have a kitchen there's really no room for an individual person since it's very expensive to be able to do all of that because the grow is an indoor grow and people have a misconception that I'm gonna put a seed in, in a pot and in a pot in a planter and pot is gonna grow. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way. It might work in your backyard, but not when you're commercializing. And if we think it's some of the bigger companies that are in the space, uh, all publicly traded companies, Altria, which is the Marlboro man, has a huge investment in um, uh, the Kronos Group, you know, 1.8 billion. Um, Coors, Molson Coors is in the space. Um, Constellation Brands has a piece of canopy growth. So the big boys are in and they're poised to really jump in to this space once it's adult use is legal in more and more states and they see that they can really commercialize it and there's no more stigma attached to being a publicly traded company that's in the cannabis space. So what I've seen is as these individual states that are coming online now, the last election, I think four or five states approved adult use. New Jersey just approved it. Um, there was just a Bloomberg blurb that uh, New York State overcame its final hurdle to legalize adult use in New York State. And what the states are now going to do is going to say, we're, we don't want the big boys to dominate. We want to have different types of licenses. I want to have a grow license or Rob wants to have a dispensary only or Rob wants to be able to buy product from three or four or five different types of growers and, 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 and have their own dispensary or a kitchen, or I'm gonna blend my olive oil with uh, CB, uh, with uh, cannabis or THC. 
So what I see is that the states are turning this into um, that ability to level the playing field, to uh, make this a social equity component to every license that's being granted, to right old wrongs that have been done since we know that um, uh, the minority community, Black, Latino, has been unfairly um, criminalized. And I see that all of the states want to have that social equity component. They want to have multiple licenses. They want to have more and more banks be able to bank cannabis. They just want to see the little guy being able to be in the cannabis space. Of course, they've all got to be vetted and, and, and um, have a you know, real business plan and be able to apply for a license. Um, but that's the changes that I see that uh, big boys are still in it. They're still circling the wagons. They still want to gobble it up. But I think a lot of people see if I have two or three dispensaries or if I have a really interesting growth center, maybe my exit is three or four or five years from now to the Marlboro Man, to Altria, to Constellation, to one of these where I've got a, a nice retail presence and it's less expensive for the big boys to be able to gobble me up than to do it on their own. I'm curious if you foresee or if you're aware of, because I'm not, mm -hmm. of some of the big food companies or the kind of CPG snacks the you know the Hershey's the Doritos of the world because all of these big brands that you mentioned are cigarettes mm -hmm. alcohol and mostly mm -hmm. beverage focused because mm -hmm. of that alcohol component uh, I'm curious when we're going to start seeing some of the big snacks Hershey's etc of the world is, is that coming soon what do you think I think the, the it'll first come with CBD It'll be CBD and then CBG. And as long as the THC content is below that uh, threshold where it's psychoactive, maybe it's Delta 8, not Delta 9, that you're going to start seeing snacks like that. Um, that's going to kind of be the lead in towards, um, towards seeing that in a snack product. Because don't forget, so at, at the end of the day, adult, you, you know, cannabis is, has a psychoactive uh, component to it. You do get high, you get a buzz, whatever you want to call it. And I think they're going to go really slow before you're going to see a bag of Fritos that's going to have uh, a THC content in it in which you're going to get high. I think we're going to see Fritos or potato chips or like you just said, a candy that's going to have CBD or CBG or CBN, one of those CB derivatives, CBD derivatives that might be specific to, hey, CBN is good for sleeping and CBG is good for stress, and CBZ is good for something else. Um, I think that's really going to be the forerunner. And then if they do, I'm just projecting ahead, but if they do allow a psychoactive property like cannabis in food, it'll be highly regulated and sold in a place where you're going to need to be 18 to buy it. You can't just go to the supermarket and grab that bag of chips and it's got uh, THC in it and I can go to the uh, um, cash register and pay for it. It's going to be regulated just like um, alcohol, just because of that psychoactive property. Got it. So to shift gears, mm -hmm. I want to ask you about 
accounting or mm-hmm. yeah yeah let's go with accounting what's okay. what's a common misconception about cannabis accounting that you know is not actually true so first I'll, I'll say that where whenever I'm at a gathering and I tell friends or whoever's there that I am a CPA and my firm is in the cannabis space, uh, everybody has the same misconception. How do they bank? There's a lot of cash. What do they do with it? Isn't it still illegal? Um, whether you're highly educated or not, unless you read a lot about it, a lot of people still think adult use is illegal, which it is in New York. Medical is legal. So I think one of the big misconceptions is, will is there a bank that I could use to deposit my money? Yes, there are. There's a few different banks that I work with um, and they openly bank cannabis. Um, any bank can bank cannabis. There's a set of criteria, it's a know your client type um, criteria that banks have to fill out for. If Mike Z is a cannabis guy, they need to do a, uh, I know that this money that Mike Z is depositing into my bank came from the legal sale of medical or the legal sale of adult use as opposed to his, he's illegally laundering money. So I think that's the first big misconception. Hey, 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 no, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about, man. (laughs) Not Mike Z. I meant Mike X. (laughs) Um, I think the other misconception is that um, it's all of the attendant things that any business needs. Well, can I get insurance? I'm in the cannabis space. Who's going to insure me? It's federally illegal. What do I do? How, how do I work that around? Um, uh, what, what are, what's the tax implications? How do I structure it? Um, so there, there's just so many misconceptions about not just cannabis accounting, but just the business itself. So it's insurance, it's banking, it's employees. Or what if uh, um, it, it's just, it, it's, and also how do I, how do I track everything legally? What kind of software can I use? The states require seed to sale tracking if I'm in the cannabis space and I'm growing. The states, it's highly regulated, so I need software. Who can I look to to help me set that up? What, what professional, whether it's an accountant or a software guy, where do I get that information from? So because it is a really a burgeoning industry, you know, we're really on the ground floor, so to speak. Um, there aren't as many resources as if uh, I'm just going to be um, a, a contractor and I can buy my lumber from 15 different places. You know, I can't necessarily go on Amazon and buy some of the things that I might need um, for my uh, cannabis business. Um, I think the other thing that people don't realize is with cannabis, there are some real we'll just call them very, very hairy tax issues because cannabis is a schedule one drug, adult use. That means that in theory, it has no no redeeming value. So schedule one is is heroin, um, completely illegal. And because of that, there was a case a long time ago in which they disallowed uh, all ordinary necessary business expenses. So if I have a cannabis business and 
I'm selling cannabis. I've got a lot of expenses that are ordinary and necessary that the government says, because you schedule one, you can't deduct. And now all of a sudden I've got a taxable profit. You know, think of that. I, I grossed a dollar, I spent a dollar on all my expenses, but the government says you could only expense 50 cents. So now I got a 50 cent profit. I'm either gonna pay tax or I'm gonna distribute it to my shareholders, to my partners. And they're gonna say, hey, I'm paying tax on something, but there's no cash to distribute. So there's an inequity there in how it's treated, especially now that it, medical use is legal and adult use is becoming legal in more and more states that we have to look to the IRS and the federal government to uh, rectify that. So I, I want to return to that in a second, mm -hmm. because I'm mm -hmm. curious to get your perspective on what's going on right now and far as far as reforming uh, banking regulation and some other potential federal changes to cannabis. But before we get into that, I'm curious to ask you, about what are some of the, what, you know, what's a common misconception or perhaps better yet, what's something that most cannabis investors aren't aware of and in particular private investors, you know, like private wealth, um, family offices, et cetera. What's something they might not be aware of when it comes to investing in cannabis, that's something that they should consider before getting involved. Anybody who invests in cannabis has to realize that it's a, it's a business like any other. It's not easy just because it's cannabis and it's exciting and it's trendy and it's you know the thing to be. And maybe people remember that when they were growing up or they were in high school or college just to smoke pot and have a really good time. And they figure, hey, this is a cool thing for me to do and invest in but there are numerous tax consequences. It's not, the other thing you have to think about is if, if I'm a private investor in a deal, it's an illiquid investment. I can't just get my money out. So if I put $100,000 into a deal and we have a growth center and there's 20 people who put 100 in, so I got 2 million and I've got my growth center. If I needed to get that money out, I can't, I'm stuck. Or I'm governed by this uh, agreement that I signed with my other partners that says if I need to get out, they could buy me out, but maybe that's a discount. So it's an, it's an illiquid investment. You're in it for the long term. Everybody might think that, hey, there's an exit because I'm going to have the greatest growth center in the state of New Jersey. And uh, Canopy Growth is going to come into New Jersey and they're going to say, it's less expensive for me to buy Rob's growth center than to do it on my own. That may or may not be true. They might have the scale. Um, I think the other thing people have to be aware of is as more and more states come online, eventually they're going to allow things to cross state lines. I don't know how they're going to regulate it. And if you think about it, who are the greatest growers uh, in the world? Uh, the old tobacco companies in, in, in Kentucky and some of those other states that used to grow, they have growth centers just waiting to go. So now all of a sudden I got my growth center, it's in Massachusetts, that's great. But now all of a sudden I'm gonna be competing with a growth center in Kentucky or another state that used to grow tobacco. And these guys have been growing it for generations. That's who you're really gonna be competing with in the future. So it's not as easy, it's not a layup like people think. There is that issue of phantom income that I just described. If I'm a partner and it's structured as a pass-through entity, an LLC or 
pass through, I get a K-1 and it says I have to pay tax on $100, but their distribution was nothing. As a matter of fact, they actually made a capital call on me. So I got to pay tax on a hundred bucks. I got to write a check back into the investment. And, um, and I've got to really rely on who's running this. Is it, a, is it an astute businessman? Is it, do they have the right growers there? If it's a kitchen, do I have the people who know how to how to blend, how to make a, you know, a, a chocolate bar or, or, or a gummy or an edible. Um, I think we really have to do, if I'm going to invest, I really want to do my due diligence on the people in it and have they made money somewhere else? Who's behind it? Who is the bank? Who is the accounting firm? Who's the law firm? Are, the, are you going with novel group of people who, this is their first deal? Or these are all alumni of, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, and they're bringing in a Grassi or a Citroen or somebody else who's got experience. And then the law firm is one of the name law firms that's in the space. That's really what um, you need to look at. So the other thing you can think about is there are publicly traded companies, IIPR. You can invest in Canopy Growth. You can invest in Kronos. You can invest in Curaleaf companies that you could really do due diligence on, you could look at their prospectus and it's publicly traded. So if you need to exit, if you want to get your money out, you can. True Leaf is hot. They're in Florida. Now they're in Massachusetts. You like, you know, you like Kim Rivers. You like whoever the CEO, that's the CEO of, of True Leaf. You know, you like their business plan. That's a good model. Um, you know, right now, a lot of the cannabis stocks that are publicly traded are hot. You know, once Biden won, everybody uh, felt that, you um, with the Democrats in power, something's going to happen federally. You know, we're still waiting to see. But, um, you know, it's an alternative to the private investment. Private investment for a lot of people is sexy and appealing and, you know, it feels like you're in on the ground floor, but um, there are a lot of risks. Let's go back to banking for a second. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think even as recently as this week, there was some activity on the federal level, or at least some some noise, I'll call it, some mm -hmm. headlines about the the Safe Banking Act being reintroduced. Yes. Uh, talk to me a little about that, and and is it realistic that we're actually going to see that happen, or or some kind of su substantive reform uh, happen this year or next year? I think if anything happens, so let's just go back. The Safe Banking, Banking Act is an act that was proposed in 2017, which would greatly eliminate a lot of the strings attached to banking in the cannabis space. Um, nothing happened in 2017. It may have passed the House, but not the Senate. You know, don't forget back then, you know, it was divided. The Democrats controlled the House the Republicans, the Senate. Um, it was reintroduced in 2019. It overwhelmingly passed the House and then it just died. I don't even think, you know, Mitch McConnell was, he didn't bring anything to the floor of the Senate that he didn't think was going to pass, so it never made it. So it was just reintroduced now, you're correct, by, um, I believe, a Republican senator in the Senate um, to let's see if we can pass this legislation finally. The House will overwhelmingly pass it. We got to get the Senate on board. 
it's a 50-50 Senate. So if you think that the Democrats are in favor of it, you don't need that many. You don't need any Republican votes, I believe. I don't think you need 60, but I think there's enough Republicans. I think Cory Gardner was one of the Republicans who introduced it. He may have left the Senate, but there's enough senators from Republican senators from states where cannabis adult use is legal um, that would support the Safe Banking Act because the Safe Banking Act isn't making cannabis legal. It's just making it easier to, to, to bank cannabis. It's really a pro-business type of um, legislation. It would make it much easier for those companies to be able to borrow money, to be able to go to some of the bigger banks. I think one of the big things it would do would be allow the consumer to use their credit cards now to buy medical and adult use. Right now, you can't use one of the credit cards. You can't use MasterCard, you can't use Visa, you can't use Amex to buy cannabis. There's all kinds of workarounds maybe a debit card or some of the larger dispensaries are issuing their own, or you go in, you put your credit card into a machine that's gonna then give you um, uh, you know, a cash card and you could use that, but they're all workarounds. So the Safe Banking Act, I believe would allow the credit card companies to enter the space. And let's face it, we're, we're, we're a country that lives on credit. We're a country where hardly anyone uses cash anymore. And that would be a real boon to the dispensaries and to the individual be able to go into a dispensary. I use my credit card, I could buy my medical, I could buy my adult use. Um, so we're hopeful. I think that the Safe Banking Act has a better shot of passing than any other type of legislation. I don't think they're gonna reform the 280E only because I think that's a big revenue raiser for the federal government and we're broke. Uh, they might they might liberalize it. They might tweak it. Maybe we deschedule cannabis so it's not a schedule one. You know, those are like little baby steps. Nobody's really talking about it. Everybody thought that Joe Biden and the, you know the Biden administration and Kamala Harris they're in favor of it, but um, you know it remains to be seen. Uh, I think they recently came out that they dismissed some staffers who had answered on their application that. Um, uh, they had smoked marijuana in the past, which it's not a good sign. You know, we don't know the story behind the story, really. Um, everybody was hoping that at the very least, make adult use legal. I'm sorry, make medical cannabis legal in all 50 states. That's something that benefits everybody because it's a plant that heals and pass legislation to allow the Safe Banking Act, deschedule it, and then let each individual state decide what they wanna do with adult use similar to what they do with alcohol. That, that's what I could see happening in the next four years uh, because it makes sense from both a business point of view and a personal point of view. And I don't think it's a Republican Senate, uh, Republican, Democrat, red state, blue state issue. I think it's an issue that uh, everybody could get behind. I don't often say this, but I'm pleased yeah. that I do this show because I have record of myself saying, I don't think Biden and Harris are going to be too friendly and too, you know, I think some of this enthusiasm about them is, uh, is a little overly optimistic, but, you know, I hope that they still prove me wrong. They still can. Yeah, um, you never know. 
Some, uh, I as mean, far as cannabis specifically. Yeah, just, I know. I agree with you. I think that Joe Biden needs to be educated on it. I think he's open-minded enough to realize that it is 2000, you know, it's 2021. And however many states in the 30s, I think now medical is legal and 16 to 18 where adult use is legal. So the trains left the station, you know, the genie's out of the body's bottle, so to speak. What could he do to move it along without being a proponent, so to speak, of consuming cannabis? Because I, I think he's the type of politician that's probably never smoked cannabis, where you might think that Kamala Harris, if she smoked or hasn't, I don't remember if she ever said she did or didn't, for sure she's been at events and parties, et cetera, where people have, and I'm sure her kids do, et cetera. So I think, uh, you know, as this, I'm hopeful like you, I, you know, I hope that you're proven wrong. Well, I, I believe I remember reading or hearing that she has consumed and okay. given that she used the date Montel Williams. Oh yeah. Okay. I, sure. I feel like she, she must, she must have at least some education around it. Yeah. Um, she's from California. It's a, you know, adult use space and yeah, absolutely. I yeah. agree. Rob, let me ask you, what are you most excited about in the industry today? I mean, the thing that really gets me going and my colleagues, whether they're here at Grassi or just in the broader cannabis community, is as, as the discussion that we're having now takes place and opens up and you have more and more people talking about it and a lot of, the, a lot of that ability to understand that it's a plant that heals. Let's take the psychoactive element out of it for right now it's a plant that heals. It's a plant that has medical benefits. It's a plant that should be researched. And I need people who have been dead set against it. And then all of a sudden they have a friend that is um, undergoing chemo and they're suffering and they don't have an appetite. Uh, and they've asked me, what should I do? And I'll look up who's the doctor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that you could go to to get that a prescription and to try it. And it crosses all, uh, you know, boundaries, whether the person is, a, you know, a Republican, a Democrat, red or blue. That's really what excites me, that there'll be more and more people understanding the medical benefit of it. If we really want to um, understand how it works from a medical point of view and, and get those benefits out there and really get them rolling. You know, right now there's one drug, Epidiol XGW Pharmaceuticals for um, uh, epilepsy, some rare forms. If we can have more and more of those types of developments where people see it, it's mainstream. Now it's the front page of the Wall Street Journal and GW Pharma was just rolled up into a, a larger pharmaceutical company because they want to uh, piggyback on their cannabis research um, I think that's the more exciting part. The, the, the rec part is, is a lot of fun for a lot of people who would prefer to, uh, you know, indulge in adult use cannabis for the psychoactive property, whether it's going to help me sleep or, you know, just for the enjoyment as opposed to alcohol. But I, I think what's overlooked a lot is how it really is a plant that heals and, and it does have, um, you know, great potential as 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 um 
as a medicine. Absolutely. And Rob, I want to shift gears into a bit of coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to, we're going to flip the script because usually you're the one giving me advice and, and I'm coming to you for feedback and, and tips. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to, we're going to try it the opposite way. And I'm going to ask you, what's your biggest business buzzkill or challenge these days? So right now, for me, the biggest thing has been the COVID isolation. Um, I'm much better face-to-face. -face, I'm much better one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I would go, every month I was going to a different event, twice a month typically, going into Manhattan, going to an event, whether it was High and Y or another event, uh, cannabis event with a table and talking face-to-face, and maybe I'm reaching an audience of four or five people who all have similar questions and I can answer all four at the same time and exchange cards. And it's not just so much that ability where I'm giving out my business card and maybe I'll pick up business. It's that ability to interact, meet people uh, and learn. So when I go to these shows, when I go to the to a high and why event and whether I'm in the panel or in the audience, I'm learning. I'm always trying to educate myself. I want to understand how other people are thinking about it. Um, so I miss that the most. I, yeah, I've done podcasts. I'm doing this podcast. I've done a few of my own. I've done a couple where, you know, I'm a guest or I'm a moderator. Those are great. And we, we broadcast them out like you do, whether it's on, uh, you know, Apple Podcast or Spotify, um, but just that that one-on-one -on -one interaction. So for me, is that ability. So if we just take a step back, of course, I'm a businessman and I do want cannabis business and I do want to be able to go out there, meet people and bring in clients, whether they're big or little, whether it's cannabis, CBD, et cetera. And that ability right now to interact, you know, there's a show in Jersey, it was virtual. We were at a table, it was a virtual event. It was good, but it wasn't the same thing. And typically if I'm in the office and I was at that Jersey show at the virtual event and I'm at a table and, you know, you click and Robert's sitting at table six. In the meantime, I'm distracted because the computer is on and maybe I'm trying to answer correspondence or somebody's calling me. It's different when you're in that show face-to-face, -face, I'm not distracted. Um, you're my audience. So that's my, you know, if you call it a buzzkill or frustration, that's really, um, uh, you know, the whole COVID. I think at the end, we're, 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 um, we're tribal people. We, we're social animals. We interact well socially. And I think people need that. And I think I know we do. And I know I miss that. And, you know, I'm glad we're coming out of that, but that's one of the ways, one of the many challenges that uh, I, I've been encountering this. It's been a year now. Yeah, certainly. So I'm hearing the lack of events, in-person events and in-person gatherings has mm -hmm. limited some of your opportunities to not only connect with people and potentially find clients or prospects or referrals, but more so to learn and to, right. to get, you know, and I, I totally can relate to this because it was always 
showing up to those places where cannabis people get together, where, you know, that chance encounter or interaction where you would pick up something and there's always so much to learn about this space and new things happening all the time. It's impossible to keep track of it all. And so, so to kind of get together and hear from other people, you know, for me, um, just as a quick side note, I, I even miss standing in circles with people and just hearing other professionals talk about their stuff that might be way outside of my realm of experience or knowledge. But again, that's where that learning, you know, you pick up a, a couple of things here and there and sharpen the sword, if you will. So I totally understand that that buzzkill, I guess my question is, aside from being patient, what can we do? What can you do to create some of those opportunities for yourself? Or on the flip side, what is it costing you, you know, not having that interaction? I think the cost is, um, it's very social. I, I, I relate to what you said when you're in a group of four or five people and you're hearing something for the first time that you hadn't even thought about, just so it's kind of tucked away in your memory bank uh, and you know about it, even if you say, this is something that I can't be an expert in, but now I know it exists. So those things. So I think what I've done is I read a lot more now, even if it's on my phone, um, I'm studying more. I forced myself into being both a participant on the podcast and also being a host on podcasts. And what I found is um, being on a podcast is just like being at a show, except it's one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you know, I haven't been on any of the, the group podcasts. And it's just like two friends getting together and, and chatting, two friends talking, or you know, two friends having a beer or smoking a joint or whatever you want to call it, and discussing things. Um, it's own. It's. Uh, I have to force myself out of my comfort zone. For me, initially, just sitting on the stage and doing, um, uh, being on a panel. That was a first for. Um, forcing out of that comfort zone and doing it. So now I'm comfortable being on the stage and talking because all of the stuff is stuff that I know and I understand that I can talk about it. Um, and the next step really is out of the comfort zone to actually approach someone and say, hey, Mike Z, hey, Shirali, hey, hey, you know, John P, I'm gonna do a podcast, are you interested? You know what I mean? That uh, fear of, of you know either rejection or just reaching out and doing it and then making the time here we were just interrupted the phone rang I thought I had turned it off but it wasn't to say set aside an hour to do this it's almost like setting aside I'm going to set aside a half, a half hour every morning when I get up to not look at my phone to meditate or to sit quiet I don't know how to meditate but I just want to sit in the quiet that ability to, to just set aside that time to do it um I think um, I think COVID has affected everybody's ability to do that. To because where our routines have been so interrupted that I, I think what everybody really wants is to get back to their routine. If your routine was every day, I'm at the gym at six thirty, working out, 
Well, I haven't done that for a year. So now my routine is off. What do I do from 6.30 to 7.30? Well, I'm sleeping late instead of working out. I can't do it effectively. Oh, I, at nine to 10 or every, uh, you know, the 15th and the 30th, I'm in the city from six to nine at a high and Y event or another event. They don't exist. So I think it's, it's kind of like reorienting your routine to, to get back into it. Yeah, I hear that. And I think that's one of the challenges of entrepreneurship, even in non-pandemic times or mm-hmm. of growing a business is, especially in cannabis, I've found that because laws and regulations change, dynamics change, the industry is changing. It, I am forced to adjust my routine regularly in this space. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's been your experience as well, but I think in COVID, to your point, that's been everyone's experience as every, whatever routine you had pre-COVID has certainly been disrupted by COVID. And now, you know, here we are a year and some change later, and you might've just gotten comfortable with uh, how, how to live in the COVID world. And, you know, hopefully soon we'll be going back into, you know, the post COVID or, or whatnot, post lockdown, you know, vaccine world. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift and ask you, what is the biggest change or most, let me, let me say, where's the greatest leverage for you to add something or remove something into your routine right now? Um, let me think. So I've been contra- making a, so if we just leave business out of it, for the time being, you know, my business routine hasn't been that interrupted other than face-to-face events because accounting was considered an essential service. We were allowed back into the office, uh, you know, a, a while ago and we would observe the normal protocols, take your temperature every morning before you log in, you need to answer some questions, et cetera. I think it's the other part of the routine. I was actually thinking about something because you just triggered something in me that we should be able to take away from COVID something positive, even though it's been this period of isolation, that what can we take away from being isolated, socially isolated for a year, you know, no, no dinners, not seeing children, grandchildren, friends, et cetera. Um, Turn that into a positive experience. And I think that that's something I'm trying to work on, um, uh, you know, personally to be more, how can we use Zoom as something more than just this kind of a toy that's been thrust on us? How can we really make it effective? How can I communicate with my relative who lives, you know, two time zones away and make it so it's not an awkward Zoom event, but it's a real social gathering. I think that is um, something that I'd like to work on uh, to see if I could do that. Yeah, I hear that. And I think I, I, knowing you, I believe that you totally can do that. <laughs> and I, I think half the battle, you know, it's funny, I heard you say before a couple of examples of how you went beyond your comfort zone and put yourself out there and and tried to to 
you know, make things happen. And, and I feel like what you just described is no different in a sense. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, you know, similar and you have to make the time for it and just put it on the calendar and, and set the intention and then execute. And I think you know how to connect with people. And I, I think one of, at least for me, one of the biggest benefits of this quarantine and this whole Zoom world of connecting is that I've gotten back in touch with people that I wouldn't see in New York, you know, people all over the world that are now essentially equidistant as everyone else, as the local crowd, because, you know, now it's like everyone's kind of in a similar boat and Zoom mm -hmm. has become the norm, at least for, for this year. So um, maybe there's an opportunity in there for you is to, because to, I, I, I know, again, for me, it was easy to say, okay, I'm getting enough socializing just by going out in New York, just by living in New York and existing day to day in the world out there. Whereas in the, in the pandemic world, I, I find I need to make more of an effort and I have to, you know, set the time and, and reach out to people. Also think about who do I want to connect with and how do we just spend some quality time together on Zoom, whether it's like, a poker game or, mm -hmm. you know, a beer or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So I'm, I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind for you as a, a next step you can take towards this end. Um, well, if I just go back, I like that one phrase that you just said that friends and people, whether they're three time zones away or now, everyone is equidistant now that we have Zoom. And what I found is connecting on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Zoom, Facebook with people, uh, you know, and I won't call it just kind of gossiping, but catching up and, you know, in the, the deepest part of when COVID was just ravaging everyone, people were really there to reach out to one another. Um, you know, there were so many things going on on Facebook. What are your 10 favorite albums and pass it on or your favorite and why? And it would be that group. It was just really interesting the way people kind of came together that way because we were collectively all in the same boat. It wasn't that, hey, I'm not, I, I'm, you know, COVID isn't going to affect me like it is you because I'm in New York and you're in Florida or whatever. It was really the, the great equalizer. And I'm sorry, I forgot what what were you going to ask me to? I I I I went back. That's all right. Uh, I was asking, what's a step you can take towards getting more of that connection, or you know, kind of face to face time on Zoom mm -hmm. that maybe is is lacking for you now? I think just making the conscious effort to put that hour aside every day, or to I just spoke to a colleague. Uh, we we have a new member of our cannabis group. And we've done a few podcasts together. And I also a member within the firm, I'm part of the auto industry niche. So uh, last night I'm thinking, why don't I do podcasts with some of my auto guys, whether it's an auto dealer, gas station, et cetera. And I know how to do it. Um, so I asked my colleague, I said, just show me the final steps. I know how to invite Mike Z to do a podcast. I I want to take it to the final step. I'm going to edit it and then I'm going to post it on LinkedIn and then I'm going to uh, let, you know, whoever know 
that I did that. And I think I was setting aside specific time during whether the, the week or, you know, twice a month to do that and to reach out. I made a list of, you know, 10 people that I could do that with, you know, outside of the cannabis space. If I want to really just kind of, you know, broaden my horizons and not just cannabis, but other areas. And, you know, make, you got to make a conscious effort. It's, it's out of the comfort zone, make that conscious effort. You know, we're, we're all in the same boat and, you know, we do see light at the end of the tunnel. And I don't think that the whole Zoom thing is going to go away at all. I think it's here to stay. And if anything, it's going to get better and better. Um, and I think we need to integrate that into our lives. Awesome. And I agree with you. I actually, fun fact, even before Zoom, mm -hmm. I was doing coaching. And even uh -huh. before that, when I was at Google doing uh -huh. sales calls on Google Hangouts and video and all uh -huh. that stuff, you know, I guess almost a decade ago now. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, I, I'm with you. It's only going to stay because now it's that much easier to have a global audience or have mm -hmm. global contact and, mm -hmm. and, and to spread out and reach out in, in a new way, because now it's like, we're so used to doing zoom and all that stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I think some portion of you know, that business travel is going to be replaced by just Zoom. Anyway, mm -hmm. Rob, I, th I think that I have to, I have to tell you, you did it today. And so I, I thank you for making the time, taking time out of your day to chat with me. It's been a while since we've chatted and I'm always grateful to, to get some time with you. It's fun. And I, I always learn something. So thank you so much for your continued years of friendship and support. And I look forward to hopefully a few weeks from now, a few months from now, when we'll be able to see each other at an event in New York and, yeah. you know, and things will be a little more uh, like they used to be a little more like the good old fashioned days of, of yeah. gatherings. <laughs> yeah. Well, they just announced Javits is going to be in a, uh, they specific, they have some specific dates for cannabis at Javits. Oh, wow. Booth I didn't know that in Vegas. Yeah, I heard about Vegas. I didn't know that they would do cannabis, cannabis, but It just came across whoever our cannabis marketing people are. Just the net, They just let us know when the dates are going to be and they intend to go live. Oh, wow. Awesome. Glad to hear that. I remember yeah. when they canceled the last one. That was, uh, you know. wow. It seems like a long time ago now. It was only... only not too long ago, but yeah. anyway, Rob, right. thank you so much, man. This was great. Thanks. And uh, we'll chat soon. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.